Hey guys, welcome back to the Yurt Podcast. Today we got uh, just a big group of us all talking d and I'm going to let you guys go around and tell everybody a little bit about your D&D experience and give them your name. Uh, who do you want you to go first? Go I first. guess me? Okay, I guess the newbie goes first. So, <laughs> uh, name's Jacoby Davis. I'm uh D&D player down in the Provo Orem area, roughly. Uh been playing D&D for a couple of years now. I was originally introduced to 3.5e versus what I'm playing now, which is now 5e or 5, uh, 5th edition. Um was originally just kind of a player, but in the end I didn't like the DM I had because he was a little bit too controlling of what me and everyone else wanted for our characters. So I started running games just online and been kind of stuck as a forever DM ever since. All right. On you. Uh, my name is Robert, Robert James. Um, I'm a player, more of a DM, I guess you could say, up the Syracuse Layton area. Um, I've been playing and DMing for about, I'd say, 10 years now. Uh, mostly DMing, dungeon mastering. Um, various editions, uh, 3.5 is what I learned. Uh and then jump to fourth edition. That's when I really got into the learning how to run the games. Uh, currently, fifth edition, I have played Pathfinder. Don't give me anything for that. <laughs> Don't give me any lip for that. Um, so, uh, yeah, had a lot of fun with that. Uh, right now, uh, I've got a group going. We uh, it's an online uh, virtual group uh, with players in Washington State. My name is Steve Bartell. Uh, I started playing when middle school in 1980, so I'm just over 40 years of gaming. I've done all the the different versions of, of Dungeons and Dragons over the years. Um, right now, I've got a regular group. We started in '92, and we're still still playing together, and uh, we meet every other week still, and it's uh, still just my my biggest hobby. Has ever has COVID? I mean, obviously, you were saying it's uh, kind of put you on hold. Is is covid really kicking you or i mean you got... i mean no with it being with us already being virtual it yeah. didn't really change anything um but i mean i have noticed you know just from forums that i've seen or uh, facebook group that i follow uh, a lot of people are you know tending more towards the kind of virtual tabletop kind of scenario now with virtual tabletop i mean that's that takes away from the experience right uh yeah um well yes and no I yes would say no. yeah I mean it's it opens up your accessibility and your time because I mean if you're a working if you're a group of you know thirty somethings like I am yeah and you have you know work home kids stuff like that your schedule's gonna be tough so it opens up a little bit more of that you know you don't have to commute times and things like that so it does help in that regard but yes it does I. Just from my personal feelings about it, it does take away. There's nothing like being at a table. Yeah. See, we went yeah. and we went online for a few months, but we started gaming in person again in May. Um, but we, like I said, we've we've been playing since '92, so some of us, so we know each other. Um, my brother-in-law is one of our people to play with, and we did stop. We had I had a, a week, a couple weeks there where I actually got COVID, and we, you know, we skipped a session. <laughs> so, but uh, and played on. We actually played online during that week, and I just ran the game online. But other than that, we've been going in person still since then. Is it is it better? It's got to be better doing like P 
people you know versus just random people. I mean, there's got to be some benefit to doing, like, somebody from England, somebody from New Zealand, like a really mixed, don't-know-anybody type of group. Yeah, well, I've seen... I mean, I, I, I'm glad I play people I know. I would I, I go to conventions and play, and, and with people you don't know, and it, it's a little trickier because you don't know what people are going to be like, what they, what they may be bothered by. You know, I've seen things where you've got these forms that that you hand out to your players and to find out what offends them before you start playing. Mm. And I was like, man, I'm glad I don't have to do that because we're just, we've been going together so long. But yeah. when people that are new to each other, I guess they're, you know, they kind of walk on eggshells sometimes at first until they get yeah. to know what to do. Yeah. I mean, just going on my experience. So I tried running a module, which is kind of like a pre-written adventure for uh, Baldur's Gate is what it was called. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that, we were kind of, doing a little bit of a hodgepodge from the original group I had joined in for my first 5th uh, edition it, like group. And it was me, two other players, and then just a couple of new people. And I really don't know why, but just one of the players that came from that original group, I don't really understand why, but he just became this angry, angsty dude, and eventually he led to just kind of this huge argument between players and then it just kind of fell apart. Um, so like not being in person, I feel like it a little bit kind of desensitizes you to what other people are thinking or feeling. Cause at some point it's just, you know, I'm talking to a computer screen who cares kind of thing. Yeah. You get away with more people have been used to being rude on the internet. Yeah. Too. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, uh, on the other hand, it is when you have a good group that actually like respects what everyone's doing. Um, case in point, the group that I've got going on right now, we may all be local in the Utah area. We're still playing online. We're still fairly new to who is who and whatnot. But at least thus far, everyone in my group has been really respectful of each other. They really like getting together in this digital format. And we do hope that once things dial it back and you know we don't have to worry about this stupid pandemic as much as we do now that uh we can finally get together have a group session and enjoy some of the things that you miss out on through like online games one of my favorite things was just the whole idea of bringing a potluck of just random food items just being like (laughs) you know you bring crackers you bring pizza you bring cheese you bring soda just stuff like that oh yes i miss that a lot but that's, um, that's got to be a difference, right, with D&D, because when you're playing EDH or Magic the Gathering and somebody's bringing food on the table, that's an automatic <laughs> no-no. Yeah. Yeah, with a Dungeon of Dragons book, unless it has some kind of Mountain Dew stand or something on it, it's not really... Yeah. That's it, true. It hasn't passed the test yet. But yeah, I would say Dungeons and Dragons, I mean, tabletop gaming in general, I mean, across the board, whether it's collectible cards or in this RPG environment or whatever, it's a... It's a social experiment, yeah. Because it either works or it doesn't. Because I mean, if you have a pickup group of people you've never met before, you don't understand their quirks. Some people may be a little shy at first, and then open up later, like you in your instance. Um, and it's just one of those things that I guess that either it either is apparent in the beginning, or it shows itself over time, and it either makes or break makes or breaks the group. So. Um, See with us, we with as friends, we uh, we probably get maybe fifty percent of our game night is actually gaming, and then the rest of it's just talking, 
movies, you know, shooting the breeze about whatever, oh, joking so around. And, distracted so many times. Yeah. yeah which, it's so easy. I don't know. To me, I don't, I don't know if I could go play with a group of strangers very well anymore at this point. It, yeah. It seemed awkward to me. So. Yeah. I don't blame you there. So. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know. It's one of those things. And it, we, I don't want to put it all into a, a negative light or anything like that. I'm not saying don't seek out people. Please do. I mean, that's the whole point is to meet new people. Um, but if you find a group that works, then heck, stick with it and make yeah. it and, and keep going. Um, yeah, that's all I really have to say about that. What do you guys recommend somebody by themselves? They don't got friends that are interested. Just go to the, your local game shop and try well, to jump in. Yeah, you know, what surprised me, so the the new version of Dungeons & Dragons is just insanely popular. I mean, I, I haven't seen this kind of popularity since... You know, since the first edition of D&D was, you'd see it everywhere. And that kind of has, has resurged. And it's funny because um, my boys both play. They're, they're both adults now, but they both play just because they were raised on it with me. But um, my son, who's 12, is in an after-school Dungeons & Dragons club at his, at his junior high. And my daughter, one day she's trying to get on Zoom because she's playing D&D with her friends at school. And I'm thinking, wait, what? What are you doing? <laughs> and they're just it's so big that they're just doing it. Um, just everywhere, um, people are playing it. You know, my, my kids start playing it, don't even know. Um, but for my son, like, they have, like, the starter set out there. Mm-hmm. It's a box set. Oh. You can get it at Walmart. I actually saw it at Walmart today. Isn't that even. crazy? Yeah. It's like 20 bucks or something. And, you know, we got him that, and that's just perfect to get, to, you know, get used to it and get into it. So, Yeah, they sell, like, Walmart past three or four years. They got, like, Ticket to Ride, a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. Uh, Painted minis. Yeah, the gaming market has gone up quite a bit. At least I've seen, I've noticed lately. So, yeah. And then for finding a group, um, I think so. There's a lot of online. There's a lot of groups, you know, with with uh, talking about like there's a group that a lot of us met on. It's, it's Utah uh, Facebook group, but there's Facebook groups out there, MeWe groups out there, um, and it's kind of easy to pull together players. I probably reject somebody who wants to join my group probably a couple times a month because there's so many people trying to get into groups. So I think it's easy to find a group if you want to. You just have to go look at the right place. On you know, Normally, I would say things like Facebook and, and yeah. websites. And If you do some of these uh, online tools like Roll20, uh, they have a way to go, like a find a group uh, thing as well. So it's fairly easy to get into it, I, I think, starting a new group. Yeah. At least that's, that's my impression. So speaking from my end, just being someone who organizes games online and whatnot... Um, in the past, I've organized games through a couple of different servers dedicated to tabletop RPGs and especially uh, Dungeons and Dragons through Discord. So you'll have these servers in Discord. They're basically, you know, dedicated to, oh, this one is a music production server or this one's a tabletop. You can just make your own servers. And I'm part of like three or four uh, just global sort of tabletop RPG um, servers. And that's where I met my first DM who got me into fifth edition at least. Um, and with his group, we all met through this discord server. We eventually organized our own discord server for just our session. And we had a dude from Brazil. We had a dude from Germany. We had a dude from the UK. There was me. And then on occasion, we'd have a couple of other people bounce in and out. Um, there was another dude from Portugal, and I think the last dude who joined in was from Canada. And it was wild. And while I may have had some gripes with the DM I had, 
he had actually a really, really good story going on. So it was worth coming back to. But eventually, after, you know, I had third character death in this campaign with him, I was just like, okay, I really want to do this character. If you're not going to let me, then I'm going to bounce. And that's eventually what it ended up is happening. Because this particular DM, he would fall into this habit of, you know, I'd throw out what character I wanted to do. Like, just throwing out an example. Let's say I wanted to do a kobold or like a little miniature dragon of sorts uh sorcerer he'd be like okay you can do the kobold but i don't want you doing sorcerer because too much magic in the party and then flip on the other end of things after i picked a different class and say oh why don't you do druid but you told me i couldn't do magic well well this is this is better for you anyways you like plants you know okay whatever but uh what i will say is that it is really nice doing these online groups in the midst of the pandemic because you get to kind of go outside of your box a little bit. You don't have to necessarily worry about that fear of meeting someone, having them sit right in front of you and be a stranger. There is a little bit of that comfort from having the screen in the way. But uh, yeah, it's it's definitely something that I think has improved with the pandemic. I would say online tabletop has improved a lot. And a lot of people have started to kind of get the idea of, okay, this is how I should behave in a tabletop game online. And so I feel like people have more matured with the game and the gaming system online that it, it definitely has changed the dynamic in a positive light. And I'm intrigued me personally to see what that does when everyone starts getting back together in real groups where I've been out of real groups for three years or so since I first started 3.5 edition. Well, even technology in general, I mean, I remember in the 90s going and we'd put post-it notes on the bulletin boards at the colleges to try to get a group together. And now it's <laughs> so easy to try to pull that together. Good old days. Right. And, and I guess we should, we may need to apologize in advance if you've got listeners who have never got into Dungeons and Dragons, they're probably like, what the heck are they talking about? <laughs> we, we, may, we may get a little deep on this one. Yeah. Um, well, it's like I mentioned before with the technology aspect. One of the advantages is that, you know, that be able to reach out to people more. Um, it's that accessibility now that you didn't always have before. Like if you didn't have word of mouth or uh, like a group that you could meet up with, a, like a prearranged group that you could meet up with or... Uh, let me call Jimmy's mom and see if he can come over kind of thing situation. <laughs> now it's you can jump on Discord, Roll20, Meetup, uh, a number of other apps. I mean, you reached out to us through a Facebook group. Uh, uh, we should mention that Facebook group. Yeah, Champions of Utah. Okay. Yeah. Just for everybody who wants to check it out, go to that Facebook group. Yeah. So I mean, tons of people are always, always asking, hey, is anybody starting any games? Or does anybody need players? Or is anybody looking for... A dungeon master, I mean. And everybody's pretty, uh, I mean, I got a lot of response. Yeah. I'll tell you that. I've joined, doing this podcast, I've joined a couple groups. Oh, yeah. You know, but uh, I would say the cross-country skiers, I got it out for them. They they just ripped me a new one. But <laughs> you guys were all pretty friendly. <laughs> um, this is a, kind of a bigger question because every everyone that's been on the podcast whether they're hikers or like the escape room guys the zipline dude they've all had sort of an influx in any type of activity i mean i know you're online like multiple um 
you know, multiple Discord servers and everything. Have you seen just an influx of people online doing stuff like that too? So me speaking out loud, um, I would say that the amount of people looking for online groups, yeah, it went up massively because uh, just throwing out one of the examples that was presented to me, and this is the reason why we haven't started doing in-person D&D right off the bat. One of the people who was interested in doing the game, they brought up that, you know, COVID could hit them harder because they're immunocompromised. And there's a lot of people who are that way. I've seen even just trolling through other people's uh, Facebook postings for like, I'm looking for a game or I'm looking for players for my game. People will bring that up from time to time. And so I feel like those people, uh, they're trying to find a way to keep doing the things they love. And, you know, they still want to play D&D. They still want to enjoy all their activities. But with all the social distancing and concern for their own safety, they turn to these online groups instead. So just even branching into another thing I do on the side, I make music on the side. I'm a moderator for an actual, like, digital audio workstation. And even since the beginning of the pandemic, I've seen a fair amount of people who are now turning to music production as another hobby. I've seen other people in just generic servers I'm part of start picking up new hobbies and sharing it online because they want to have some sort of social interaction. But, you know, when all you have is your cell phone and maybe whoever's living in your house and maybe your coworkers, you know, not all your coworkers are going to want to hear or, you know, do what you want to do. And not everyone in your family is going to be interested in the same things you do. So you'll turn to the internet and you'll find people who have similar interests, find similar tastes, and you'll want to interact with those people. One of the few advantages to this whole thing. But the the biggest question I have is like, Utah was not hit very hard. Like there are a ton of people that are doing any hobby you pick it. There are a ton of people like out doing it more. But if you're driving on the any part of the road, everyone's still out, man. <laughs> Traffic's yeah. horrible. That's Go fair. to Walmart, you're waiting in lines. Like, how many people were actually affected? Do you think? Well, when you look at like like on some of these on like the Champions of Utah is a good example, but there's a few groups, and every week you see multiple posts on people saying, "I, I haven't really played. I'm brand new, but I'm looking for a group." And and so you can almost see the influx coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned my my twelve year old is about to be thirteen, but my twelve year old um, they have a after school D and D club, which kind of tickles me a little bit because when I was in seventh grade, we had an after school D and D club as well <laughs> at, my, at my middle school. But they run at their middle school, and and I guess it's it's packed. They meet in the library, and he says every table is full of kids playing D and D after school. That's wow. that's and cool, so man. that's uh, which is interesting because that's all new that's all new players coming into the hobby generally probably too, and. So I, I think it's access to like Fortnite and Call of Duty, right? And yeah, else. and they're luckily they're sitting down and doing like you know getting like the social interaction of yeah of of that gaming. But yes, yeah, so I think I think it's it's huge. Even the amount of people that try to get it, you know ask me if they can join my group when we have to unfortunately turn away because I just you know, we're we're full. Um, it's it's really picked up with over the last few years. It just it's uh, I mean I, I I see it probably getting bigger and bigger. It, it reminds me of this the same thing happened. Um, with first edition way back, you know, in the early eighties, it just, it got bigger and bigger. Everywhere you went, people were playing at the school, um, you know, on the streets, everywhere you'd, you could, you'd see people in the libraries playing these. 
And then it kind of died down and it turned into a kind of a subculture type of thing. And, and we just had just the gaming, you know, geeks did it for, a, you know, a couple decades. And now for the first time, you know, since then, it's starting to just pick up like wildfire again. Well, I mean, you see Critical Role t-shirts at Hot Topic. I mean, that's like, that's I, crazy. I, I was behind somebody in the, the other couple of days ago in their, their car and they had... Their license plate said Natural 20, and I had to even take a picture of it and show my kids. I'm like, look at this. <laughs> so I want to be friends with that guy that's in front of me. I don't know who he is, but. <laughs> yeah, it is It is weird because even when I was in the, you know, high school area age, um, it wasn't like that. No. Well, then it was, we were, we were, for a long time, the, the D&D kids, I mean, you, you, everybody knows, you kind of look back and there still has that stigma, but they were kind of ostracized and teased because they, yeah. they were the nerdy kids playing D&D. But it's, it's really lost that. Um, you know, most of the kids, my daughter has an all girl group and most of the kids in my son's group are all are girls. And it's kind of turning where you're getting, you know, um, a really good mix. It's not just geeky guys anymore playing it. And it's not, it's, it's not something that's not cool, I guess, anymore. It's something that's kind of like, you know, we get teased for comics too. And now look at how good like Marvel and DC are doing on yeah. those. And, you know, some things that used to be geeky are not so much anymore. So what do you guys think of those movies though? Like the Marvel, I loved the Christopher Nolan Batman. Oh yeah. But, um, yeah. you know, a lot of people hated that. But all the new comic movies I could leave behind. Really? Yeah. Oh, they're so they're so good though. I'm a big fan of the Marvel yeah. movies. Like, yeah. I think they've done those pretty well for the most part. I like Guardians of the Galaxy, it's funny, but I, I mean I watch I watch those Nolan films probably two or three times a year, to oh, be yeah. honest. Like Yeah, I mean you can <clears throat> say, I mean, from both sides of that you can say that they are made to entertain. They are definitely mm-hmm. made for that purpose. Uh, blockbuster movies, completely in that regard, they make tons of money because it's you know the wham, pow, you know explosion, you know kind yeah. of all that whole thing. Whereas you know the Dark Knight trilogy was more you know you lo- more of you a more of a cinematography kind of thing. Yeah, you yeah. see something new every time you watch. It. Right, it's crazy. So, yeah, like so. God, I wish they would just let him do Batman. <laughs> uh, we'll have to see how his how his Justice League thing kind of yeah. turns out there. That's a new one. But they, um, yeah, it, I think part of the things they're doing with their like the Marvel movies is they're kind of they they try to appeal to both sides a little bit. Uh-huh. I mean, a good example we just watched the Wandavision, my wife and I, and she enjoyed it, and then I I you know I, I liked it, but then I'm seeing all the different things hmm. like from you know, from way back in, in like, you know, the eighties and seventies with like the Scarlet Witch and Vision comics and things then uh-huh. that they're yeah. that they're they're yeah. sticking in. It's like yeah, yeah. they're good a little nod to us us nerds, comic book nerds. But <laughs> yeah. but my, you know, but then my wife and my daughter, you know, she watched it as well. So they're they're doing a good job, I think, of hitting both sides. Yeah. On those. I know I've been getting my wife like Harley Quinn stuff for every holiday. For like 17 years at least wow. and uh some of that animated series stuff's went up in value i can tell you that much <laughs> there's a big boom in harley quinn stuff oh, yeah. right now <laughs> yeah. but uh how many people run um where you've you've got a play group and then you're splitting off how often does that happen like, like the groups like the groups yeah like off you or? guys are in gameplay you're going one direction and then the group has to separate. Oh, split the party. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Never split the party. 
Cardinal so, rule. Yeah. I mean, I guess it depends on how malicious your DM is. Because uh, usually that uh, opens itself up for, in what ways can I screw with you guys the most? Uh-huh. So, um, I'd say it happens a fair amount of time. I mean, I guess it depends on the scenario. Yeah. The newer dishes of, of D&D are a lot more forgiving for that kind of thing. That's They're a lot true. more survivable. That's true. So, okay. you know, I've, I've, I've got this, you know, some of the same guys that we did second edition with a long time ago would never split up during an adventure because they were afraid of what happened. And, and now they, they might, they might do it, if, you know, periodically because they're not as worried. It's a lot, it's a lot harder. Um, in the, the newer Dungeons and Dragons, it's, it, they made it a lot more, I don't know, I guess user friendly to, people coming in that don't want to see their characters die um and so which i guess in a way i can see that because you're a new player and you're like you know i get attached to this character and then he dies but then at the same time you know looking back the the old school gaming your character would die and it'd be kind of a glorious thing you talk about forever right (laughs) what happened so you know they're both sides are good on that the um what would make a good dm Ooh, that's a hard question. <laughs> Willingness to do it—that's <laughs> the first <laughs> thing to do. Um, I mean, because it puts a lot of spotlight on you. I mean, it, it's a lot. It can be a lot of work. I mean, but it can also be equally rewarding, because I mean, you're still a part of the group. Uh huh. I mean, yes, you're playing. A, you're in a different role, but as long as you consider yourself still part of the group, then. I mean, the, the, then you're still having fun with the game. Uh-huh. So, um, I mean, obviously, it's going to take a little bit of creativity, um, which is where, like you were talking about with the published adventures and stuff like that, uh, those are pre-written, already set up. They're railroady, so they kind of direct the group where to go. But it's a great start. Like I, I learned, I started learning uh, how to be a dungeon master with fourth edition. Um, it's very uh, combat heavy, um, but you still have those role playing elements, like I know you and I were discussing earlier. Um, but I mean, it's it, it's I don't know. It's it, it, I don't know. It's hard to say. You're you're in the group, but you're outside of it. But you're you're basically the entire world that the group is traversing. You're the people. You're the environment, and you have to think about so many different things that are going on all at once it's kind of, and it's kind of a collaborative type of storytelling and as That's long true. as you kind of yes and as long as you're as a person as a dungeon master running the game you kind of understand that and get into that um where the players are telling the story as much as the dungeon master is a lot of times one of the things i love about and i'm i'm almost always a dungeon master um mostly because my my, my group doesn't mind that necessarily and and i i find myself as a as a player i get board i guess and so i mean I, I like i like the role but i like going in there and, and even though i've kind of set up the stage of what's going to happen i know what's happening in the story but you know almost every session i get surprised right i even i don't know what's going to happen because my <laughs> players surprise me well i didn't know you're going to do that and that changes everything and it's you know it's a lot of fun and we as you know as a group we're kind of collaboratively telling the story together and you know i think the way, i i've heard you know, even recently I saw an article on this. I was like, as a GM, you should say yes. I mean, that's, there is some truth to that in that, you know, try to, you know, try to let the players tell the story as well and let them do, you know, as much as they can within reason. Um, 
one of the one of the concepts that fourth edition had that came out and that I, I really like and I still try to use when I can is when they're faced with something, you turn the question over to the players and you're like, you know, you walk in bar and or, or walk into a tavern or whatever and, and you they they ask what they see and you kind of describe, well, what do you see or some of the history and, and you have you put them on the spot and they tell the history or they tell what they see. Mm, yes. And it kind of makes you have to adapt as a dungeon master, which is fun. Mm -hmm. And it gets them involved too, and suddenly you're all kind of making up the story as well. But I mean, I I, I like that method when when I can. I, I probably don't do as much as I should. But so when you're writing a story, like how in depth do you get with the NPCs or like like you were saying, just the room they're in? Or like how far in advance do you go? <clears throat> I don't get very in depth on mine. <clears throat> I'm not sure what, what what you guys experience on your side, but like my adventures are are bullet points. I have a a word document that I just put bullet points or here's the main things that are going to happen. I know what's happening in the story in the sequence that's happening, but the players may or may not go there when it's happening. Mm. Um, especially in the, in the adventure I'm currently running, there's things going on and they're trying to overcome, you know, this, this main villain and he's out doing stuff. And depending on what they do, he may, he succeeds in some of the things or he doesn't. And, you know, I think they kind of like that too, because they don't you know that the choice of what they do makes a big, makes a big difference on that but i just do bullet points and come you know, up with it as you're doing it. yeah one one of the programs i have and and my players may not know i do this and if they've listened to this podcast now they do but um <laughs> i i've one of the the tabs i have open on my browser is a fantasy name creator and if somebody okay. they come up to someone now create a name and i just toss out there like you know like he was always there right and they're like well he must be important or something and it's just somebody that they just saw <laughs> so kind of flying by the seat of my pants there I have to take that into consideration for my games oh yes <laughs> that tab's always up because um, you know invariably one player will always ask oh what's his name uh <laughs> right. uh, uh uh jared and then they know he's like yeah he's not important he hesitated he's not important move on there's a lot of jareds in this game huh? oh yeah i mean just going off of what you said with the whole oh they got to be important well so I'm running Icewind Dale right now for this local group. That's the one I have for 4th edition. I uh, I have it for the 5th edition. It uh, came out not too long ago. Mm -hmm. um, my wife got it for me for my birthday. But, uh, you know, in the module, there's these 10 towns that the adventure can take place in. And so it's the very beginning of it is a very, very fluid... You kind of bounce from town to town and just kind of level up a little bit, grind some experience, so to speak, and then you finally jump into the adventure. Um, in these 10 towns, the way that it's set up, this region of the world has been in kind of like an eternal winter for a couple of years, few years, and in the most recent year or two, they've started like picking up these weird like attempts or rituals or sort of thing to try to appease this god of or goddess of winter that's like cursed them with eternal winter kind of thing and for my group they started out in this town where if you actually read the module this town they send out a human sacrifice they basically strip them bare kick them out of the town and that's essentially their sacrifice to this goddess kind of thing right well my players latched on to that idea and they were like well why don't we save them that's nowhere in the module, <laughs> but it actually did spin into something very useful because I was planning on them taking one of two little quest hooks that I had given them. They didn't take either one of them. Um, but one of the subjects of one of those little side quests is there's this uh, 
man who's kind of like a... He, he's wanted for a string of serial murders. And they haven't really been able to kind of like connect any dots other than he seems to be going after people trying to cheat this lottery of sorts to become the ritual sacrifice kind of thing. So what ended up happening was I threw that guy at them for trying to save this random NPC, but me being on the spot, I couldn't think of anything na or to name this random NPC that they are trying to save now. And I had just randomly assigned them that they were going to be a tabaxi, which is basically this kind of... If you've played Skyrim, it's like a Khajiit. But it's like a humanoid cat of sorts. And uh, I was just like, glass water. I don't know. <laughs> and so that uh, NPC or the NPC's name is forever just glass water. And we're <laughs> going to see what happens in the next session with her. Because I'm still trying to plan what I'm going to do with this character. There's a chance that one of the players may actually take over that character as their new character. So it's going to be interesting. Well, and that all ties into, like, the Crystal Shard all ties into the Legend of Drist, right? Uh, it, it starts It starts in that area. So how much, like, have you got? I've tried to listen to the series on Audible. The narrator is horrible. I've read them all. Uh, <laughs> read them all. We got the first three books, but right. I don't read. I listen, and the narrator is, right. like, monotoned as ever. Um but uh, it's great story. Oh yeah, fantastic! Great, it's story. been going on for oh man, I don't even know how long now. Oh yeah, since like the early '90s. Yeah, I think yeah. when the Crystal Shark came out. How much when you're doing a game like that? How much do you pull from the book series? So full disclosure, I've never read the book series, okay. so <laughs> I can fully say whatever's in the module, as written by Wizards of the Coast is what I'm pulling from. <laughs> Outside of that, I might look up a detail here or a detail there. I've tried finding like a condensed version of Drist, but I can't find it. Oh, so man, that, like each book is like this thick. Like, yeah, I three, mean, four inches. Like you, I tend to listen to things less because I don't read and more because I'm so busy with a 10 hour shift yeah, that exactly. I can't afford the time to read. <laughs> Two jobs, somebody else reads the book for me. Yeah. I pay him a credit on Audible. Mm -hmm. But with those published adventures, it's when you're when you're DMing, it's that fine line between planning and improvisation. Uh huh. So with those books, <clears throat> I mean, you can make and break as much of it as you choose. Pick and choose which parts of the story you want to adapt, take out, add to. Uh, that's the beauty of D and D is it's so adaptable. I mean, and then for whatever instance that your players decide to go left and you were thinking they were going to do right. And then it's like, well, what is in that direction? <laughs> so, but yeah, it's making sure, you, you know, keeping with that, that player agency kind of thing. They're making the choices like you were talking about earlier. It's like, it's that collaborative storytelling. So being a dungeon master, it can be difficult where you have to be able to think on the fly and it's like, oh crap, what's around the corner? Yeah. So, yeah. So. With okay, um, you were saying something, but uh, I know that they have actual tournament for D and D. Like I'm, I was pretty big into MTG. I was on the Wizards website yep. all the time. How do you have a tournament? You know, for D and D. So, so we've been in that before. <clears throat> um, it's funny because 
when I was going to the Gen Con, which is the biggest gaming convention in, in the nation, I we used to go to that every year. I used to have when I worked for TSR and Wizards of the Coast, I'd have to work there every year. Um, but it was we go to that every year, and, and they do this thing where they they get a group and they they put them together in a series of modules. So they'll they'll go through and they'll do an adventure. Um, in, in one of their events and when they get done they get points on what they did what what they accomplished what they achieved and then people advance to the next to the next adventure and i think they go three or four and it gets smaller and smaller and smaller you, you know to less people so then in the doesn't end die in the and these are like just quick stories like how long yeah. does that take well they do like they do like four hours and i think they do three or four sessions on it so overall it's like 12 to 16 hours of, of gaming and maybe you go to the next group and not everybody is in that group that um, that was there before because they're just kind of reshuffle them. Hmm. Um, there's a there's some some friends that we used to to see. You know, they live in Utah, but we'd see them out at Gen Con, and uh, it was funny because they would that would be their main thing. They go to the convention for every year was this tournament, and they had placed in like the top, and I think I think they won it one of the years. But almost every year they placed in like the top few, and it's like that's what they did was this convention uh, this gaming uh tournament this convention which i've done i've never quite got into it um on that one i don't think i've ever made it past the first round which is funny because as you know as somebody who worked in the industry i, I think I, I got kicked out of the first round on each one of those <laughs> but uh it's well, an art form i guess i know like i i was really big into edh and that's like a casual you know casual format but they would you know you'd get if you were doing it in a tournament, you got turn two, turn three kills. I mean, you got thousands of dollars worth of cards in these decks. Is there anybody that makes a like a living off of other than like Critical Role or having a podcast, like just doing D and D tournaments? No, because there's no money yeah. involved in ones that I've seen. They're, they're okay. just they're they're just there for fun. I think, and it's it's basically bragging rights by the time you get done with it. Okay, yeah, I didn't I didn't know that. So coming from the online sphere, um, yeah, some DMs actually will charge you to join their games. Um, but at least from what I've seen, it's not so much they're trying to make a living off of you. What it is is they're trying to pay for their subscription service to keep playing the game. Like, for example, Roll20. Um, when you're on the Roll20 website, you can use a free account if you want, but it's like the bare minimum, bare bones kind of thing. If you pay for your subscription, though, you get more data space for your maps, for your audio files, so on and so forth, if you're using that digital um, tabletop. Um, me, I'm not too much of a person who likes subscription-based services. I'd rather just buy it once, call it good. If there's an upgrade in the future, you know, pay like 20 bucks for the upgrade, call it good there. And so on my end, I use a platform called Foundry. It's its own separate oh, mess yeah. trying to get that to run where I live because we had to like open up a weird like public IP basically through our internet provider just so I could even run the game because the internet is hardwired in my apartment complex that that's the only way to make it work. Um, but that being said, it's a one-time buy. All the updates for the future are completely free because that's what the deal was when I got it. Um, but on the flip side, unlike Roll20 where it's like, you know, you pay for a subscription service, it's a one-time payment. So I don't have to charge any of my players anything for them to come and play my game. I could if I wanted to. That is, <laughs> that is a real thing I could do and just say, hey, 
I want to get my money back on this thing. So I'm not asking for much. Just give me five bucks at the start of session for the first session and boom, you're good. But I am personally not that kind of person. That just kind of seems a little shady. There are some people, though, that do do it professionally. One of the guys that I follow on Twitter, he uh, just recently, I think in the last couple of months or so, he uh, professional DM, and his schedule is full. Yeah. Yeah, just people clamoring for his uh, skills as a DM. I was so. watching a lot on YouTube. I'll look him up while you're talking. But, I mean, this dude, he made his little... I mean, there's there's ways to make a living doing anything oh, right true. now. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. And that seems so odd to me because, you know, as I mentioned before, it's to me, D&D is about getting together with friends. And if it was, you know, I'm not a big fan of the strangers, and especially if your DM was a stranger. Um, and I guess there's each to their own. A lot of people are doing it just because they want to play the game, and it's all about the game. But, you know, to me, it's it's about the game, but it's it's more about a group of friends getting down and playing, too. So that just... I look at that and think, you know, good for him, but yeah. <laughs> I can't. I can't imagine it. No, that's fair. But I mean, it's. I, I guess you could also say the same thing about going to and buying like a, a video game or something like that, and you pay sixty bucks for a brand new video game, and you get X amount of hours out of that experience, and then. But in this, I guess it's more because you're getting that interactive experience, real, real live experience. So I mean, I get what you're saying, but I, I can also see the appeal of what he's doing. I mean, if you've got somebody who's got. If they've got the chops to be able to run a game on the fly like that, then, hey, I guess I would do it if I could, I suppose. <laughs> so. I think my time has passed that I could do that. I, there was a time when, when I worked for Wizards of the Coast that I had, everybody knew that, and they were just trying to, you know, they were, they were trying to get in my game because they knew that I was somebody that worked there. And I wasn't as disciplined as I am now, I guess, on letting people in. And at max, I got up to, we had 17 players in one game. Oh and I had a, a co-DM, even. And then then we started letting attrition happen, and we got shrunk it back down to about five or six. I don't even know how that was even possible. <laughs> it was <Wow>. crazy. <laughs> it was crazy. Matthew Colville was the dude I watched a lot of. I've heard that name, yeah. Uh, he, yeah. I mean, he's pretty watchable. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah it's, charisma is a big part of it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. So. Well, that was, like, I got into podcasts... Because I've, I've always had monotonous labor jobs where I can just listen. Got tired of listening to music really quick in my career. Yeah. Um, but when when I started listening to podcasts back in like 2011, 2012, they were very new. But D&D podcasts were a huge part of the podcasting world. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's it, Do any of you guys ever think about just like... Going out, starting your own podcast, and like, I mean, that would be the dream, right? That know, would be the dream. See, to me, it, it, it's so much work just keeping one game group going. I don't see. <laughs> I don't know how they do it. But. but like, if you just got to record your game, you could do more gameplay, and that that would be it. Yeah, you know? yeah. As long as you were, yeah, if you were interesting enough. Yeah. On that, yeah, I, I could. I, could I see couldn't that. listen to any of the D and D ones. The only man. thing, the only thing it takes away from that, I guess, is that if you're like me and you get distracted a lot and you're just a bunch of adults sitting around a table just kind of unwinding and just talking about whatever that takes away from obviously the intent of what the podcast is supposed to be yeah. so See, that, that's, that's why my guess would never work <laughs> i can't yeah so i don't know if i would ever do that but i mean like we've talked about critical role yeah. and uh i mean that blew up with like the whole streaming so with like twitch and uh 
all those other services out there. But yeah, I've listened to a fair number of podcasts and watched other streams, you know, of people playing just to get see how other people run their games. Well, who would have thought Vin Diesel was that into it? Oh yeah, <laughs> right. right? I mean, yeah, that's geez, crazy. When you watch Fast and the Furious, you yeah, never no. would have put two and two together. Nope. That was his life. That's crazy. Yeah, on my end of things, now, I don't know how many of you have been on Reddit or anything related to D&D, but I remember I was just trolling through Reddit one day, and I came across this post, and it absolutely just won me over. I don't know if I would ever actually do this myself, because I don't know if I have the time, the patience, or the means to necessarily edit things, just because my computer's so bogged down with other crap, but... uh it's this post that it's this player, or rather this DM who's like t- recounting an experience he had. And so I'm just going to kind of summarize it based off what I have pulled in front of me for it. But, uh, you know, this DM, he wakes up in the middle of the night. He's, uh, he's been up late because of work and, you know, he's just barely getting to sleep. 30 minutes after he falls asleep, gets a phone call, right? Looks at his phone. It's one of his players in his D&D game. And he's like, dude, it's midnight. You good? Yeah, yeah, sorry if I woke you. Uh, could I ask a favor? DM's face is just immediate. Oh, God, he killed somebody. Uh, shoot. My daughter can't sleep. Could you tell a quick story over the speakerphone? She loves listening to recordings of our sessions before bed. But I left my laptop at the office, so I can't play them. The crap. Uh, she listens to us fall asleep? Yeah, she really likes your plot and NPC acting bits. She calls you Dumb Dumb Mister. <laughs> I guess Dungeon Master is a bit hard for a preschooler. DM just thinking, me, wow. Uh, well, if it'll help her sleep, then sure. Thank you, man. Here, give me one sec. I gotta head back to her room. Okay, you're on speakerphone. <laughs> and then he says to his daughter, you know, it, it's Uncle, or it's, uh, it's the Dum Dum Mister. And the daughter's just got this happy gasp dum dum mister <laughs> and i've never been happier to be called dum dum before um you ready for a story about dm improv skills engage and just i love reading that story every time i see it on reddit it just brings a smile to my face especially with a newborn daughter it's just like i want to be able to be at that <laughs> point where i could tell stories on the fly about just D D stories um oh, yeah. Probably my favorite stories, again, I keep going back to this DM I didn't like, but the story that he had going on was at least good and it was engaging up until the point where I started having these character issues that I wanted to do something different. And honestly, probably my favorite character I've ever gotten to play as, yeah, there was a little bit of that, uh, you know, your character, I'm going to tweak my way from this DM, but... I was able to roll with it, and at one point I was kind of helping co-DM because we decided, you know, we're not able to have these online sessions as much right now because one of our players was in the medical industry and right when COVID hit. So we started reverting to a little bit of roleplay by just text in the Discord server. And he had me kind of help run that a little bit. And at that point in time, I got to build so much character depth behind this character of mine it was really fun it was another tabaxi one of those cat people at that point i was just playing it because i wanted to play uh khajiit from skyrim basically but uh i got to instill this story behind this 
you know, simple character that made him have so much more meaning, so much more depth. All of a sudden, you know, it's not just this 2D cardboard cutout of this cat man. All of a sudden, it's this guy who has had this huge history with my previous character that had died in combat. And, you know, he got to see this other character of mine. It was the character before this Khajiit, basically. And the way I played that character was he was very depressed and he was trying to get over the death of his father. This new character was the outsider looking in on that. You know, he got to meet this dude when he was at his happiest, at his prime before his dad passed away. And then he just watched his friend kind of decay. And so he was sad to watch his friend go down that path. Also, just going in the immediate sense, he was flung into situations where you know, normally you would just kind of skim past this stuff, but over the text, uh, or the text roleplay, I was able to kind of build the world around him to show that, you know, he's kind of an oddball. The, in the D&D realm of things, these tabaxi, they're not very common characters. They're from a very far off continent. They're not part of a lot of society. And when you see them, it's a rare occasion. So I got to build almost a little bit of like this, sense of this culture where the story was taking place some of those people you know they see someone who's not like them they start making fun of them and it turns into this little mini racism thing and then the other players started hopping in on defending my character and it built the group it built the background behind the world it built a ton of stuff and with dming i think the best part about it and even if you're a character player you get to build a story that can last with you for a long time. And these characters, they become more than just numbers on a piece of paper or numbers on a screen. They become actual, like, people that you know personally and you grow attached to them. You don't want to see them just fade into obscurity. You want to know what happens next. You know, it's interesting. My boys, when they, when they were growing up, now they're both in their 20s now, but... They used to, uh, I used to tell them stories every night before they went to bed. They always wanted their dad to come and tell them a story. And I used to tell them what happened in the last gaming session. Uh-huh. And yes. at that point, I think we were, we were playing almost every week at that point. So it was, it was a lot more consistent. Um, but yeah, they just they knew everything that happened in our stories because it would be part of their nighttime stories, right, that they would, they would tell. They still would come back and talk to me about that. Remember when you used to tell us the stories about this and when we were going to bed? But it made, it, it made easy content for dad story time. <laughs> I mean, just spinning back to the original idea, though, I think really the only thing that wouldn't work as well for the podcast format, and this is why I personally struggle listening to Critical Role and not just watching it. Um, When you get to those combat scenarios where you're doing all the roles and stuff like that, you know, for podcast format, it's a little more difficult to pay attention in the moments of combat. If you get those summarized moments or when there's actual, like, character interaction... That's when it's fun. That's when it's the most engaging to listen to. Once you start rolling the dice and stuff like that, it can be a little bit harder to concentrate. My wife loves Critical Role. I I could never get into it myself. I no. I don't know. And then there was like a D and D drunks or something. I I don't know, man. I, that one was like the hardest for me to do because like they're really different. It's really a different kind of format that you'd see in those versus in those are more. It's almost like a bunch of actors getting together yeah. and playing something out. Um, but but they, they purposely and probably smartly stay away from from the rules for the most part. You know, you'll see some rules here or there. But you know, like so they don't get into detailed combat or anything. Um, 
so I kind of worry about people that if they've only seen Critic Role and they think that's what D and D is like, that's not. Yeah. <laughs> that's not yeah. anything close to what D and D is like. But when you get down in a game, you know, there's a lot of crunching, number crunching, and you know, some things going on. But uh, but yeah, they purposely have a very different format, and it works for that, I think. But uh, I'm jealous of you. I mean, my wife and I are uh, pretty big nerds, and um, our kids don't want anything to do with it. <laughs> I got a 13 year old and a 12 year old, and we ask them to play board games or. You know, it's just Christmas. We got to play one game of uh, Christmas Yule Log, or the Munchkin Yule Log, and uh, didn't even get to play Letters to Santa. We do. We, whenever we go camping as a family, you know, all all, all the, the kids and, you know, and even like, you know, the the fiancés and, and spouses and stuff want to just get together. We always, I always have to prepare a game for camping. Just because we always, that's always a big thing for us. Oh, that's cool. On that. yeah. And that's my, my cool. oldest daughter never got into, into it. But what's funny was she's, she's going to get married next month and her fiance over the summer started playing D&D. So oh, <laughs> she's either way, it's going to come together in. somehow. She's getting roped in. Yeah, it's not for everyone. Do your kids play? Uh, we are going to actually start. Uh, my oldest two boys are uh, 14 and 15, mm-hmm. turning 14 and 15. Um, so I'm actually going to take the starter adventure that you were talking about with the starter box, mm-hmm. uh, Minds of Vandelver, and I'm going to uh, adapt that for them. That is a so, great starter adventure. Yeah, yeah. So I think they're going to have a... They seem really interested and in want to do it. I mean, they've seen me, you know, do my my time with playing, and they see me, you know, working on it or whatever, and they ask me questions about it. So it's that thing. It's like if you enjoy good stories, if you'd like to read or like when we were talking about the Marvel movies, I mean, if you can craft something with a good story, I mean, if it's compelling enough, I mean, you can get them into it. Yeah. No. And then it's becoming a part of that story. That's the real engaging thing. My youngest son, who's 12, DM'd his first game last week, last uh, week ago from Saturday. That's really cool. And it's funny to watch those guys because they're, they're all, what, 12 or 13 playing. And, you know, I, I, that's, I, that's about how old I was when I started playing. I was in middle school as well. But it's funny, like one of the things that they did is he ran this. He was really good at adapting to the different situations for his first time. I was kind of proud of him. But yeah, you know, those kids named every single creature they came up against. They, the first thing they came up against was a little pack of zombies, and they named every one of them. And then they moved in, and there was a group of skeletons, and every one of them had a name. And as they were fighting, they were like saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attack, and they'd say the name. And, and every single creature in that adventure, they named it. That's great. So how crazy did you guys get into with like minis? So for me, I got a 3D printer and, and my wife has been really patient because that thing goes, in fact, we have two of them and it goes nonstop, um, a resin and a, and a filament one. And so I print my own minis now. And so I've got, for our game setup, we, I have a TV that we've laid, laid flat and put an acrylic screen on. And so I can project the maps. So it's a digital map. So I can just change the map out on the fly. It's oh, great. Man. And then we print all the minis and I've got a mini for about everything. And, uh. It's funny because my, my group sometimes will accuse me, and, and rightly so. They'll be like, you know, we encounter things according to the things you can 3D print. And it's kind of <laughs> last adventure they, they came, I, I printed, it's probably, probably 18-inch high Sharknado, and that's what they encountered. And it's like, yeah, I'm guilty. <laughs> but I print everything on, on that one, and so I, I love minis now. Even like, and sometimes, you know, you hear, I, there's a theater of mine, which is playing without any kind of mini or map or anything. And we do that sometimes depending on what it is. But um, even even way back when we first started in first edition, we always had, you know, pennies or something. We always had minis. We never did use minis for our games. 
And so for me, I just, I love using minis. Did you post that Sharknado on? Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I posted I that. I saw that. that. I just, <laughs> yeah. Right now, I'm honestly texting my wife saying, I'm with that dude. Because <laughs> she absolutely loved that. That was a popular post on that oh, one. Yeah. That was fun. That was yeah. fun. I love taking things and, and, you know, some crazy stuff and 3D printing it and keeping it. I have it hidden. I have a whole box of stuff that's about to come out of my players. And then, you know, when they encounter it, I pull it out and lay it on the table. It's like, ah! Oh, yeah. it, it's great. But yeah, but, I mean, and, and that's another thing. It's like minis are... The terrain that you want to put in, in, including miniatures, is as much or as little as you want. Um, I've seen, I've played with some DMs who do only theater of the mind. Basically, they describe the scenario, describe whatever it is that you're facing, and you're supposed to basically be able to interact with it or attack it, you know, without anything on the table. Not all. even markers. Nope. So oh. some people do that, and some people can. I mean, there's other games out there. Uh, like, I've played uh, Dread. It's a very story-based game that uses a Jenga tower. Mm -hmm. So it's all theater of the mind, the, the scenarios that are going on. So, um, But, I mean, it, it, from what D&D &D has uh, come from with the whole, you know, the grid system, the, the one-inch squares, I mean, it's a five-foot space for your character. So with the whole tactical combat that old school D&D &D is known for, I mean, miniatures help with that because it gives players a good visual. Um, you know, that way they can do for positioning and things like that. Um, I mean, I would say that's still a big part of Dungeons & Dragons, but not as not as much, maybe, as, as it used to be. So Yeah. Yeah. You can get, I mean, there are people that, just paint minis. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean I've I've only painted minis. I've tried to oh, start yeah. games. Yeah. Never been successful, but I've painted 25 minis. Oh, like, yeah. Built in a little terrain thing. We were at a convention one one time where it was it was our our group from Utah went out and so we were, we were in um oh well, I guess it was in uh it's in Wisconsin at Gen Con, but the DM said, here's you come across these creatures. And he just, he laid out candy for the creatures the entire time. <laughs> and so oh. you know, that, that was our minis, was, was candy. So just about anything works, I guess. So you had a goal to kill that creature. Right, because then you got to eat the candy. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, any, anything works. But I, I do like something that shows where things are happening. It's, it, for me, like, I don't know, as a dungeon master, but even as a player, when, I, when I've been with, with DMs that run things without a map i'm like wait i've attacked number one number two which one you know who's attacking does, him and yeah and you're not really sure what's going on in that yeah but man with oh go ahead yeah go i was ahead. gonna just say coming from the digital realm things you know foundry roll 20 whatever have you a lot of them have still that you know grid format that you were yeah. talking about yep and so on my end because we're playing over the internet we don't have you know these little figurines instead we have tokens and so basically it comes down to the player just sending me a piece of art. I quickly throw a frame on it through, you know, some online tool or freeware, basically. Make a quick little icon. And then it's basically a game of chess of sorts, except for you're moving around. Um, and, you know, you can, with Foundry at least, I know you can do it on Roll20. I just am not as familiar with how to do it on there. But on Foundry, you can, like, draw walls. So, like, if you've ever played... Among Us, where, you know, you walk from room to room and you can see, like, your uh, scope of vision for your little uh, crewmate or mm -hmm. imposter or whoever you are. 
um, it functions like that. You can actually customize it so that you have a limited scope of vision. Past that, you can't see. You can have these walls that uh, block your vision. You have these terrain walls where you can see the terrain, but past the terrain, you can't see anything. And then your token actually in Foundry, it's really cool because you will have what's called the fog of war. So where you've been on a map where you haven't explored before is complete pitch dark. There's nothing outside of your little scope of vision. But as you explore the map, the map remembers where you've been and what you've seen. And so it keeps track of that. Obviously, it darkens it so that you can't see what's there anymore. But unlike the pitch black, you still see where you've been. You can still see a very darkened version of the map where you've gone. You can still see, like, I went through this door. I went through this hallway. But uh, it, it's really interesting. And when you drop one session and you pick up the next one, everybody's right where they left off. Yeah. Right. yeah. When, I, when I have the digital, the, the TV that does the digital map, but I actually still use Roll20. Sometimes I have players call in if they can't, if they can't make it. And so we have, I use the same thing. I have two clients. I use the Fog of War, which is nice because it hides them. Um, but if you ever see some of the pictures that I post online, um, we actually use Roll20 and everybody has a digital token and then they put their real token on top of that. So yeah. the person that's calling into Roll20 can still see the digital tokens, but us around the table can see the real tokens on there. And, and then we, it's it's a pain because when somebody moves, you move both the digital and the, and the real one, but <laughs> it works for both sides. And so that so, it works out well. Yeah, that's one of the biggest aspects I think I like with the digital is because you've got access to almost an unlimited array of art that you can plug in. Um, I mean, spend 20 hours printing miniatures or just <laughs> plug in this little, I mean, I guess it's not the same thing. It's not a tangible thing, but well, I they mean, got that app that does it now too. What's the name of that app or, uh, it's a website where they'll print what you get to change the face and oh, yeah. hero quest yeah, hero, hero quest yeah, right, yeah. 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 oh man hero forge hero forge my wife keeps pulling that up wanting to order a little figurine of her favorite <laughs> character that she's oh, played oh dude i've spent hours yep. on that thing a buddy of mine's the same <laughs> way most yep. of my players have have, have the, their miniatures, miniatures came from hero yep. forge on that yeah yeah, that was a that was I can't remember if that was a Kickstarter or not, but that was huge uh, when it came out because it's posable. You can make your characters, you know, different races, different classes, uh, different poses, and things like yeah, that. Yeah, different weapons. Yeah, More they've changed colors. it so much now since it first came out. But, it's pretty yeah. slick. It's expensive to to have them send it to you, but the nice thing on our side now is, you know, cost about four or five bucks to get the right. the the digital file, and then we just print it yep. ourselves now, right. which works. One of my one of my players has a has an echo that he summons it looks exactly like him so we just reprinted his character and now oh, we've got cool. a couple of them yeah. just in case because it could be really difficult for some of those like reaper mini or whoever else sells miniatures it can be hard to find that one yeah you know, that's exactly exactly matches what it is you're looking for you just have to find something that's close enough but with 3d printing now i mean oh that hero it's, forge it's like i mean you can literally make your character that you're exactly it's both amazing. of my boys have made themselves we one of the games we played was uh, from Savage Worlds. It was East Texas University. It's kind of a, a modern day game, and they created versions of themselves with like you know baseball bats or oh, guns, that's a cool or idea. That's and a cool it, idea. it looks pretty good too. Yeah. It looks it looks like them. Yeah, I always try to create myself. Looks a lot like Fabio, big <laughs> rip dude, shirt off, hair blowing in the wind. <laughs> uh, do you guys all play in like a fantasy? world or do you ever do like we kind of switch back and forth on our side i 
fa- the funny thing is fantasy is my least favorite. Yeah. Um, it's hardest for me to DM and it's harder, it's hardest for me to adapt to. It's the one I started with, but, um, but we'll switch back and forth. You know, we've done like Star Frontiers and Starfinder and a, and a bunch of the, I like the sci-fi setting a lot. Uh, the one I probably like the most is, is modern day. Cause we can, you know, it's, it's easy to get into. It's easy to have around. Everybody can picture things that are going on. Um, one of my favorites we ran not too long ago was, uh, Tales from the Loop, and that's where you play kids in the 80s. And, you know, there's like strange... It's kind of like Stranger Things, but the game came out before Stranger Things, but it's kind of a lot like that. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, those are fun, because first... It's 80s, so we just we just have you know the endless jokes and playing the 80s music as we play. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. But I like the modern day a lot, um, and then probably sci-fi, and then probably last would be fantasy. But you know they're all fun. Stranger Things actually had their own D and D edition. Yeah. It's actually pretty, I have it. It's actually pretty good. Is I ran it? that for my group. Yeah, yeah. they did a good job on it. It's a it's a, like a starter set. That's right. So for people that don't know, right? That didn't it didn't come out with the new season this year, right? Because of the COVID. They or, they're spending more time on it. I think they're coming out. Okay. I think in the, I think this summer they were supposed to yeah, come out with summertime. it. Yeah, summertime. Yep. 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 Last last season came out on July fourth, and my family started in the morning and we sat around oh. all day until <laughs> yeah. until it was time to picnic. We we binge watched the entire season on the on season three. The it was first dedication. season we stayed up until we started. I don't know what time, but the entire family stayed up until five in the morning. <laughs> wow. It was Especially crazy. It was that first horrible. season, they would end an episode. Everyone was a cliffhanger, so you're like, "Well, now I got to go to the next one." The yeah. Next one. yeah, Breaking Bad started that. Man, yeah, I'm telling you, that's yeah. evil business. <laughs> so, but yeah, fantasy. That's always been my thing because that's what I've that's, I've always gravitated towards. That. Yeah. So I mean, at the point, I'm I'm assuming you. You create your own scenarios for your games, so I've been crafting, it's called homebrew, basically an entire world, so I get inspiration from just about anything and everything and try to, I don't know, plug in little bits and pieces here and there, but yeah, the fantasy worlds, you know, because that's what I've read the most, and that's, I don't know, I've always loved that kind of aspect to it, so that's yeah. me. So I'm a huge Tolkien fan. I don't. Yeah, that's I mean, where it was, all starts. That's yeah. where it all started. They're <laughs> yeah. coming out with a new role-playing game for that now too. They got they got an Amazon show that was supposed to come out. Yeah. I don't know what COVID. I think did they just that. started working on it recently. So yeah. oh, I can't wait for that. Yeah. I don't know how they can top the movies though. That's a tricky one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, from what I've read online, they can't actually touch anything that's in the movies. Oh, so they have no. to make it around. So what's going on. Yes, from what I understand. Age. It has to be the second age, which is before the movies, and that's both Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. This is basically, I mean, obviously I'm not the biggest Lord of the Rings fan, and I have a buddy of mine who would probably kill me if I said this, but uh, mentally I'm seeming to recall that it's supposedly when Sauron was rising to power. I could be wrong. Yeah, I think you're right. It's thousands of years before what you see in the movies, so... Yeah, it's around about that time, you know, with the elves or at the height of their power, things like that. The beginning of the rings actually being made. So, But I heard they're not going to be able to screw it up. Like, the Tolkien family was very strict. Yeah, I mean, because the legendarium behind what the Silmarillion. The Silmarillion, yeah. yeah. Because it was so detailed and he's crafted such a, a intricate world, I mean... It almost writes itself. Yeah. So, yeah. I can't wait, man. That's 
And you don't like fantasy? <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> well, still like fantasy. It's just, it's just, just like just like with uh, with D and D versions. You know, they're all good, but I have I have my favorites and ones yeah. that don't but like yeah. as much. And then in your fantasy, I mean, you got your subgenre, like your shirt, your Ravenloft shirt. I mean, you've got if people love horror and they love that genre, I mean, Ravenloft is right where you're at. So I mean, you know, your classic vampires, ghosts, werewolves, all that. So I'd like to do like a Walking Dead zombie style. It's game. there. Literally almost anything you can think of is conceivable. I mean, yeah. You probably know about GURPS. Yeah. <laughs> almost every genre imaginable. Yeah. So it's always it's all there. So. One of the games that I got to be involved with with a lot of the, the playtesting and contributing to a lot with uh, uh, TSR back in the day was Alternity. And it's a oh, lot like yeah, that where yeah. it's basically any setting yeah. that, that you could do. It's, it covers all genres. But and that's kind of fun because then you start crossing over genres, right? We and you know what they they go through it we had we had the the game we ran was was similar to like sliders or something where they they go into alternate dimensions yeah, and so that yeah. was, that was fun. a cool then show you I could pull that. them anything yeah. goes right you go to yeah. fantasy world go to a futuristic world and that's, that was fun and so dungeons and dragons even though it is nominally a fantasy environment because of the worlds that they have crafted um you can use that system for anything yeah so if you wanted to run like a zombie apocalypse scenario you could use those rules in that and i mean then, you could do it in like an office I mean, space it, so. yeah i mean it doesn't even have to be dungeons and dragons i mean how many other publishers yeah. are there they're like, coming out with a stargate game and it uses fifth edition dungeons and dragons rules yeah, yeah so and that's the thing is like not everything we talk about dungeons and dragons which is centered around the d20 die but there mm -hmm. are some addition or there are some games that use different die sets and like uh, Call of Cthulhu, uh, I think that's what, D100, I think, percentage percentages. So that's what it's ma mainly based off of. So if you can think it, it's probably there. I mean, by someone, somewhere, they've written it. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's just, yeah. options are always better. Yeah, and then you dive deep into how many different... Uh, splat books do you want to spend money on <laughs> yeah. so yeah so yeah i think that's where the hobbies the hobby's kind of doing this again i mean it did it with with when dungeon dragons came out like first and second edition and you had all these different companies started creating different games and everybody played D&D &D at first and then all these other games came out and they spread out and then you know you saw this explosion in the 80s of you know in the late 80s or all these games in the 90s of other role-playing games out there and then they they all kind of you know the the hobby really declined for a while, and then fifth edition just ramped it back up of D and D so much. And I think we're going to see the same thing. You got so many people coming into D and D, and then pretty soon all these new players are going to say, "I wonder, hey, look at all these other games that are out there." And I think it's going to split again. It's such a marketable thing. It's just like I said. I mean, everything is accessible. I mean, you could run sci-fi to zombies to happy fun land whatever whatever you want to do i mean it's it's there and like i said someone has probably written it uh kids in the 80s <laughs> yeah <laughs> right. i mean how many websites there are that sell uh books that have been written by people like dm's guild is a popular one for dungeons and dragons it's all options and scenarios and things like that that just it's so wide open but yeah it it, it, it i think because it's so huge it's become a people know that it will sell yeah yeah like you look at kickstarter how many people how many companies have gotten their start because of crowdfunding crowdfunding i mean that's 
I don't know. I think in the last 10 years or so, it's because of this huge explosion because of accessibility and because of technology now. Hey, look at this. Read this book. Do you want to contribute money to have this made? Absolutely. The YouTuber I mentioned to you, that's what he did. Yeah. Started oh, yeah. his own. Yep. Uh, what do you think D&D version 6 looks like? <laughs> you know, with every version, it's there's a lot that carries over. And I don't know if... if you know, you see people like that you know, bash on like fourth edition, but there's so much of fourth edition that came into fifth edition, and so much of third that went into fourth. Um, even way back in second, they you had second edition, and they came out with these optional rule books that that went along with it, and it was an exact transition into third. And so, I don't think we'll see sixth for a while. Yeah, I, I think it'll be a few years. What I think will happen is just what I said, where it's got all these players, and players are going to start realizing. Well, there's a wow, it's not just D&D because all these players are new and a lot of them, they just know Dungeons and Dragons. That's what they know. And they'll look around, they'll see there's all these other games and they'll start splitting up uh, off to other games. And then D&D will die down and the market will kind of get saturated again. And then and that's the point, I think, where Wizards come out and say, now it's time to release a, a sixth edition to get <laughs> yep. them back. Yep. And but it, it always seems to work right every every time they, they release Everybody jumps into the new, you know, I, I have every version of D&D, just even whether I you know, really liked them a lot or not, just because everybody just gets the next one. And they may not play it for long, but, you know, that's, I think they'll recycle it that way. What was up with 3.5? You know, they came out, so, so third edition came out, and I, that was actually, I was working for Wizards at the time, although I didn't do anything with D&D. I was, I, I did online stuff with them. Um, but yeah, three, third edition came out, they did a lot of really good things with third edition. But with third edition, they they designed the game primarily look getting input from the role playing game association uh, of D and D, and the problem with that is that was it was very much designed for that role playing game association was was just gaming nerds like huge gaming nerds, and ones that probably were more detailed than your average player would be. They weren't casual players, and so they designed something that I think was and tried to push it out as fast as they could because Wizards had just bought TSR and like, we got to get something out. And they pushed it out and then realized, yeah, there's there's some issues we got to fix. And it was enough to warrant not a new edition, but kind of, you know, 3.5. And it worked at the time. We actually made a lot of jokes at the time about it, um, about, you know, teasing 3.5 because it's like a three point something. It's almost like like it was software, right? <laughs> but, it's a, it's a, but it's a whole new set of books and it, and it worked, you know, for them. But uh, it was enough changes to try to clean up that, that they just so let's just go and do an interim version i'm surprised they haven't tried it since because they try to do it a little bit with fourth edition they came out and then they they released what's called the essentials it was kind of a, a simplified version of it again hmm. um and i could see that happening to fifth before they they try to drop fifth fifth something up with fifth and then i think they'll reboot it with some other something else with fifth and then they'll move on to sixth but i bet we would i yeah i i still you know, think that a few years before we see six but i bet we see it like within like five four or five years is my bet so you're from washington and you've worked for wizards of the coast why you don't want to go back to work i've i mean i've i would love to work for wizards of the (laughs) coast and and what i did with with them was so i was i was it was a part-time gig that i had and it was remote i i ran their community site so um pre-social media really you know, you had community web boards and things that people were posting on. So I ran those and then ran chat sites where we would host, you know, designers and things. 
Um, but the nice thing was because I also worked there, I got to, I worked at the conventions. I got to go back. I never went to Seattle to the Wizards yeah. of the Coast, but I did go back to Wisconsin to TSR a, a few times. Um, but then I, I got to do demo games and I was president of the role playing game association in Utah. Um, and they, they would send me stuff that I would could play test or I would write little parts of and send it in and they would add it in the games for some of the games that, it, that I was in. So I got to contribute to some of the games and, um, you know, and I, and I wrote a, a conversion to an old game. Um, but other than that, most of my stuff was just, was just online and, and it, it was fun. And we got, you know, I got everything free, which was nice. <laughs> Obviously, oh, yes. huge part of my collection. Well, you've been playing for so long and everything. And you've already been a part of the company, man. I would imagine, like, moving the family to Seattle. And... <laughs> yeah, no, I know. In fact, it's funny. I always thought, I always used to say, I'm, I'm, you know, someday I'm going to, that's what I want to do is I want to work, be a game designer and work for TSR or Wizards. But as things move on, I decided that I liked money too much yeah. and they don't pay very it doesn't pay much to be a game designer <laughs> yeah. and so that's that's actually what crushed it there because I, I, I that was as far as i would go was just working online working part-time for them i mean wizards because they have such a it's a big name yeah for it i mean magic the gathering owned by hasbro Dunge yeah so and dungeons and dragons but i mean don't get me wrong that what they've done is great, but I feel like that the corporate creep in there, you know, the whole push this product, push yeah. this product. And like some of the stuff, like some of the, especially a lot of the newer stuff, like that was it rhyme of the frost maiden yeah. that you're playing Icewind Dale. I mean, it's getting new people, new blood, I guess, into it to, to create this content. And, uh, I think the new, module that's coming out uh, Candlekeep Mysteries you've got a varied amount of people that are able to contribute so because of that I mean it's that it's that vehicle to be able to get your name out there and uh, but I don't know I don't know if I'd ever want to work for them because I I don't know I don't want them cramping on my style or they, anything. They, have so, <laughs> they have so many people that want to work for them they don't really have to pay much to that's true. Know, to, it's like because it, it's such a big name, and it's yeah. like, hey. And I think one of the mistakes Wizards is making right now is, you know, I'm I'm on a lot of online groups just because it's it's a hobby. I like to follow it, but um, they're kind of left behind their the old gamers that the gamers that got them into this. They oh, kind yeah. of that's yeah. that was my problem with they're the Marvel only, movies yeah. and the new DC movies is like we're going for too much of a general audience and not enough for the people who actually read the comics. Right, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. That's... And they're only going for new players, essentially. Yeah. And, and the old players, in fact, they're they're doing some really weird stuff with some of their. They're going back and they're they're retconning some of their old things to add trigger warnings and, you know, say, things like orcs are now racist and draw are now racist and removing ability penalties from some of the races because that's racist. And they're doing some really <laughs> weird <laughs> stuff. Um, you know, they had the uh, Ravenloft. They had the Vistani, which were essentially a gypsy people. Right. And they're re-releasing their one of their latest things, that like Curse of Strahd. They're re-releasing it and removing the references to that because that's just one of don't want to offend people. <laughs> and they're going back to like their pub their old published products that are online, like on Drive Through RPG, and they're they're adding warnings into what into the, the books. Like you know, like they're trying to rewrite history on that one. Yeah. And because of that, 
most most older gamers, most ones that have been there since like third edition or before, you're seeing a, a massive move and say, well, I'd rather do another game than, you know, have them wreck this thing. And so we'll see what happens. But I, I think they're kind of going the wrong way because I think once the new players get bored of it, they've lost the core that's been in it for decades. And so yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. But same with the with the comic book movies, man, I think like you got to keep your actual fans, your yeah. actual fans yeah. happy. But when you're just throwing in some action scenes and, like, anybody will like this. It all comes down to how how long will people pay if they can if they keep pouring in money. It's a business. Yeah. If it keeps bringing in money, then it'll be a thing. When it stops, then it's either evolve or die. So, yeah. So, yeah. You work for Wizards? No. No. <laughs> no. No. Um... Yeah, on my end, I've just worked for companies around the Utah Valley, just mostly, like, it, it, it's nothing related to gaming or anything. It's just, like, nutritional supplements here or a dry powder manufacturer there, so on and so forth. And, yeah, I mean, right now where I'm at, I'm at a job where I'm still dealing with... Uh, clients on a more individual basis where we're making their product and so on and so forth but just the conversations that will sometimes come up it's like you know we'll keep this customer here and we'll keep doing their product so long as we're making money as soon as it gets too expensive to keep doing their product then you know we'll close whatever po's that we have or purchase orders in this case is what po stands for um we'll close whatever po's are left and then you know that's the end of it and so just hearing this conversation about like you know how long till sixth edition it, it's gonna reach a point where fifth edition is no longer marketable at that point i think yeah what has been said about it being a new wave the sixth edition the overhaul so on and so forth um yeah i could see that happening that being said um, you brought up the Candlekeep book that's going to be coming out in March. 100%, my personal thoughts when I saw that was like, okay, this is geared toward people who want to get into D&D, but have a short shelf life on their campaigns. Mm -hmm. Because the whole module, the whole book, is not one story. It's 17 miniature stories. They're meant to be played in a single session or maybe two sessions you know, we're talking like bite-sized D&D as opposed to a module or a full-blown homebrew campaign where, you know, you got somebody else spinning their own original story that could go on for years. Um, so, in this case, I would say that this Candlekeep module, that's 100% Wizards taking advantage of this new influx of people looking for games and especially running into the issue of not having games last long because of the online atmosphere of online play and just being like okay let's give them something that will get them to keep coming back to D&D &D, but it doesn't have to be this huge long thing where they get bummed that they keep losing their group so they lose interest give them the bite size so that they keep coming back for just little bites little pieces as opposed to you know, shove the whole pizza down their throat. Yeah, this will be their third book doing that. Um, Tales from the Yawning Portal uh, did that with a lot of uh, some of the old school classic adventures. 
Um, and then Ghosts of Saltmarsh was uh, a series of small adventures that you can either run independently or you can tie it all together into one massive campaign. So yeah, I, I, I think I agree with you there. Uh, that whole accessibility and kind of, you know, put your toe into D&D and see how you see how it shakes out, see how it feels, uh, see if you want to keep playing. Um, there was a series of uh, magazines that I I truly miss. Dungeons and Dungeon and Dragon magazine, each separate Dungeon magazine, Dragon magazine, uh, Dungeon magazine, every issue that would come out, I think that was a monthly publication. Yep. Yeah. Would have a series of uh, short adventures written by a variety of different people. And those were, those were fantastic. So, uh, a lot of those, because so many different things you can get from that. So it's nice to have those. Those little short adventures that you can that you can play. Like I started out my players in this huge overarching campaign that kind of just fizzled <laughs> because it's just it gets a little too cumbersome, I guess. So it's better to start, in my opinion, I think it's better to start, especially with new players, doing something short. Uh, they have these things called one shots mm-hmm. that you're supposed to play in four or five hours. Um, that I think you know lends itself to you know. Learning the game, learning the mechanics, you know, feeling like character creation and things like that. So, yeah, I I feel like, you know, having that healthy mix of huge overarching campaigns that you play over months and months and months uh, versus, you know, the short ones that you can play in a day or a few days or a week. That yeah, uh, I think yeah. that was a smart move, and I think that, yeah, I think they did that on purpose. Um, we're on, in my campaign, we're almost there at 17th level now. We're almost two years into it you see that's that's a different kind of group because most of your groups that are doing the online thing and and groups seem to form and fall apart really easy mm-hmm. now and so i think those those quick shots are oh yeah and yeah. you know it seems like everybody's you know they're, they're always bouncing to a new group um and i don't I, I i don't i can't you know place my finger on that one what's going on out there but it doesn't seem like many groups last very long it seems like they're recycling pretty fast yeah i'm not sure what uh i don't know if that's just you know, people getting the feel for other people. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, but you you've been going pretty strong for a long time now, so that's 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 a valuable thing. And if you can if you can make that work, man, you've you have found something <laughs> you have found something fantastic. So yeah. So yeah. Well, that's the one one thing where they can't uh, kind of ruin it because if you I mean if you, even if you have three point five, like your books it doesn't matter what they do you can continue to play that edition yeah and uh i mean the company can do whatever it wants burn itself to the ground once i get into this current campaign i'm going to try something new with my group we're gonna we call it the tour of D &D, and we're gonna start and do like two sessions each in every version of Dungeons and Dragons, starting with the original and going to basic and first and second, oh, wow. and just move our way through. It'll I figure it'll take probably six months to just most of the the players in my group have not played all versions, and so it'd be kind of nice to go back and say this is all the versions and kind of get a taste of everything. And, that's really uh, cool. But it'll be that's fun. Really cool. I think yeah. that's it'll be fun for me as a dungeon master too. Yeah, going back and doing some of those old things. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, we're at around. An hour and a half almost. Uh, what would each of you guys say for somebody who's just starting? So going from the online thing, I know I've tossed <coughs> out a little bit of, you know, negatives here, positives here. The big thing I would say is, you know, 
no matter where you go, no matter what you do, you're always going to have pros and cons to everything. Don't let that be a deterrent. Find what suits you as a player best. If you need to change DMs or you need to sort stuff out, try to work it out on a person-to-person -person basis as much as you can. And then, just like anything in life, whether it's, you know, disagreements at the workplace or uh, just deciding that your car isn't cutting it for you anymore. If you need to move on, move on. But don't take problems as necessarily something you can't work with or work past. Because in some cases, those problems are just as much an obstacle that you can overcome as an enemy in the game itself. Um, I'd say, well, if, if, you're, if you're a new player and they've made it 90 minutes of us talking, then congratulations, uh, level up, <laughs> I would say, because uh, we probably confuse people a lot along the way. Um, but uh, it's... So we joke sometimes that my kids are like, you know, Dad, how come we never did had a midlife crisis? I was like, well, because I played Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and the reason being, it's like it is my pressure cooker, my pressure relief valve for my imagination, right? You know, you're kids and you play with your friends and stuff. And you, you're supposed to you get to adults and you're supposed to be adulting and, you know, life's not fun. But that's a, a place where we can all let our imaginations run and just be kids again kind of in playing. And so that's that's why i've been doing it for as long as i have and, and i'll you know i always thought someday i'll probably stop playing but now that i'm you know in my 50s and i haven't stopped playing i probably never will i'll probably <laughs> always play it um but for those that are starting you know just you know, approach it that way it's something fun it's an outlet for your imagination um if you you know the groups are kind of easy to find i believe but the right group is probably not but you know keep trying if you if you're uh if you want to do it and i think uh yeah, I mean, eventually, I think it pays off. I think those I've I've seen rarely seen people play this for any extended amount of time and not stick with it, just because it, it once you get the bug, it just it just sticks with you. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, what I've mentioned a few times tonight is the accessibility and with whatever social stigmas that D and D may have once had, I think have fallen away largely. Um, because it's such a, a vehicle for that, that, that creative juices kind of thing. Like whether from a player or a dungeon master, uh, it doesn't matter. Um, if you've got the willingness to, you know, take part in those stories, either you want to craft them or be a part of them. Uh, I mean, it can be as much of a living, breathing world as you want it to be, um, from either way that you sit at the table. Um, as a, for new players, you know, take that time, you know, try different groups, see what works for you. Um, uh, when you find one that, uh, that you think is, is working out well for you, then stick with it, see how it goes. Um, I mean, the possibilities are literally endless. Um, yeah. And get your friends into it because they make the best group. That's true. Yeah, they really absolutely. do. Absolutely. Yeah. And don't, continuously move away yeah, don't right. move away <laughs> right yeah you know quit your job you know <laughs> ignore your kids just sit and just sit and play yeah no but no make it work make it work um if, if you can whether it takes whether you meet every week or every two weeks or every month uh, as long as you can get those times to be able to do that i mean that that's that's valuable 
Okay, well, before we get out of here, if you're meeting every month, how much of a recap do you got to do? I mean, I don't know what you do, but I usually give, depending on how long it's been, whether it's been a week or two weeks, you know, just a generic overview of whatever the previous events were. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I I go every two weeks. I actually almost kind of make it a spoof out of it. Um, I I usually start say something like, last time we left our heroes, and then we, you know, (laughs) we just make a joke out of it. But usually a 30-second overview, and then we we start. Okay. Anybody got any social media or anything they want to put out there? Nah. Okay. Not really. Not really, no. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the only thing I would push is music, but that's not the subject of this uh, podcast. So. Nah. <laughs> I will say, I will reiterate what we talked about earlier, that Champions of Utah uh, Facebook good group. page is a good group um, to get started with if you uh, are interested in playing. Um, or your local game store. Um, What's your favorite game stores? I love Dragon's Keep. The first time I went in Dragon's Keep, that was amazing. Probably Dragon's Keep for content. They have They have the best selection i think but um, oh yeah game yeah. haven down the street in uh, south jordan's really good too yeah yeah i've, I've seen that one a few times yeah so. well it's in blackfire blackfire is pretty good depending on what you're you're into uh, maybe not as much for D, but yeah. but yeah i was there's game stores popping up all over again um which surprised me. there was a time where there was like hardly any i didn't think moving to utah i would find anything but <laughs> i am blown away by the amount of content just up in the layton area i mean i can name two or three that I can I can drive to within 10, 15 minutes. So, yeah. I was from Southern California. We had one game store in the entire valley. So when I moved to Utah, it was like, yeah. whoa, that's yeah. crazy. A lot of gamers here. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad to see that. So. Well, thank you guys for listening, and uh, I'll see you back on the next episode.